2: hey what's up blazer fans welcome to the blazers edge podcast part of the almighty baller radio network i'm tara bowen biggs here as always with danny meringue how you doing dan oh
1: i'm good tara how are you
2: (laughs) i I was like totally gonna have this really cool introduction and not do the whole how are you thing and i went right into it (laughs) but i'm just gonna forge ahead things have already fallen off the rails
1: (laughs) Mission successful. All
2: right. But it's not just me and Dan today. We have a couple of guests joining us. I'm very happy to introduce two folks who work with us on Blazer's Edge. First is Isaiah De Los Santos, who's a news editor for Blazer's Edge. And also joining us today, Kendall Bennett. She is my co-host on the What Podcast, the Women's Hoops and Talk Podcast that we do twice a month. So welcome to the show, both of you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. So before we go into the questions, because as usual, I have a lot of questions, (laughs) Uh, could each of you... (laughs) <laughs> oh, do you want me to ask? I'll, I'll ask you questions too, Dan. No, um, but how about each of you give us a little bit of a background uh, about yourselves? Everybody knows way more than they ever wanted to about me and Dan. So let's start with Kendall. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got involved with Blazers Edge and also like your relationship with the like how you got into the Blazers.
0: Yeah, so I uh, actually, I was born and raised in Portland. So I've, um, I grew up in a house full of Blazers fans, grew up going to games my whole life. And um, I go to college actually for sport media, so that got me kind of into uh, the media side of basketball and kind of winded into that. And then actually, um, Dave Decker, who's the uh, managing editor for Blazers Edge, he contacted me on Twitter uh, like six months ago-ish, and it kind of started from there. And it grew into me grew from me doing social media for a little bit to and uh, co-hosting the podcast with Tara. So yeah, kind of just formed uh into that it was kind of a kind of out of nowhere thing but it's
2: been fun awesome we well, glad to have you and isaiah tell uh, tell uh, folks who listen to the podcast a little bit about yourself
3: yeah so i was born and raised in milwaukee wisconsin so now portland and uh dan's gonna cringe when i say this but in second grade i saw brandon roy hit his game winner and <laughs> <laughs> and uh from there on, uh, I started to really follow the team, fell in love with him, stayed with uh, Lamarcus throughout the years, and uh, going to college now for sports journalism and started writing about the Blazers because that's my team. So, yeah.
2: Dan, I think you should jump in and say something. Uh, you think so? <laughs> yeah, I, you're you're never without
1: words, are you? Just like I, I, uh, you know, it's my off season too, Tara. Okay, I want to take a break. <laughs> No, oh, all right, then. no, no, it, it, is, it is great to have you guys both here because um, it's my off season. <laughs> I'm getting really, really, really sad and depressed that I have to sit here for two more months with no basketball that actually matters to me anymore. And Donovan Mitchell can only carry my love for so far.
2: Okay, this is, this is your obligate. You, you can get 30 seconds to talk about Donovan Mitchell and then we're moving on, Dan.
1: No, okay. I'm, I'm going to sprinkle it in. Sprinkle my, I'm gonna sprinkle <laughs> my 30 seconds in.
3: I got some We'll to talk to you later too, Don't worry.
1: Perfect. We're on the right track already <laughs> well,
2: when uh when we were talking about what we were gonna do this week and we wanted to have other folks on, and we decided that um we were gonna ask these two to join us, it was kind of funny because we were struck by the uh the variety of age differences and generations that we have represented on this podcast today. <laughs> We have a – because actually if you took uh, Kendall and Isaiah and um, added their ages up, they're like still not as old as I am. And I think that's a good thing because it means we're going to get – we're gonna get different perspectives from uh, people who've watched them throughout different times, and who you know, let's say, for lack of a better word, like came of age during different blazer eras. And I've always been really curious about how do do people who um, are from different generations, you know, they all we all approach the world slightly differently depending on you know where we grew up, but do we also approach sports differently? Do we have You know, do we have commonalities or do we have, uh, you know, different ways that we look at what's going on in the sporting world, just like we do different ways we look at the world. Anyway, that's my long segue into the
1: next portion. That was the weirdest (laughs) get off my lawn segment I've ever heard.
2: That was not a get off my lawn. It's like let's all get on the lawn together and drink lemonade and oh and talk about this thing that we all share and have in common, which is the Portland Trailblazers. Aww. So let's start with the the first question. Um, let's uh, actually before we go into that, there's been some news lately about a lot of uh, coaching. What people are calling the coaching carousel. And Isaiah, you uh, handle news for Blazers Edge, so I know that you've kind of been watching it, Dan's been watching it, and Kendall, you might have some thoughts on this. So let's start off by talking about the situation in the NBA right now with lots of coaching vacancies. Like, we didn't have any coaching vacancies last year. So maybe, Dan, you can start off, and then if the two of you want to chime in anything about your opinions on why Blazer fans should be concerned or what should we be watching for with all these coaching changes going on.
1: I mean, really, when you look around the league right now, it's there's the haves and the have-nots with both players and coaches. If you look at the top-tier coaches, you're looking at the Brad Stevenses, the Dwayne Casey's of the world. Even Brett Brown is getting consideration in that, and then Mark D'Antoni, Steve Kerr, uh, the top-tier teams and coaches. And Terry Sotts' name belongs in that, too, because for what he's been able to do in Portland. And then there is the middling ground where coaches are relatively safe but not entirely sure they're the coach that is going to take their team to the next level, and then you have the next tier, which is basically a giant bonfire, and nobody really knows where anybody's going to end up at the end of the night. Everybody's like wandering out in the forest, coming back, you know, semi-intoxicated. I mean, it's 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 straight out of dazed and confused. Um, so it's it's a really really weird time, but I think the cool thing that's coming out of this, and we're seeing this here particularly as it pertains to Portland is that it, they're not exactly looking at the same retread coaches that we've seen year after year after year. A lot of assistant coaches are getting looks right now. Uh, Messina in San Antonio has been a hot uh, coaching prospect for years now. Um, we've heard Becky Hammond's name tossed in there. Now in Portland, you've got David Vanderpool and Nate Tibbetts. Uh, they're looking coach- – or organizations are getting smarter, and they're, they're trying not to be the New York Knicks by just reaching out to somebody who just retired as a player in uh, Derek Fisher or Jason Kidd um, or hiring the same retread coaches to come in and, and just kind of kick the wheel. And instead, they're branching out and digging deeper than they have probably in years. And I think we're going to see kind of, for the first time in a while, a new generation of coaches that have real coaching experience. And I think that's going to change the way some Uh, maybe not entirely the way some teams, you know, run their, their, their offenses and defenses and their schemes in general, but I think you may see more people willing to try. And I think that's going to be the most interesting thing that comes out of all of this.
2: Wow. Yeah. That I hadn't actually thought about, you know, the fact that we're, we could be having a whole new crop of coaches coming in. I've been mostly just trying to keep track of where there's vacancies and whether or not um, Stotts is, in, uh, in the rumor mill in terms of leaving. Isaiah, as you've been covering the news, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks, really since the uh, end of the, the playoffs, like right away we heard, I think, from Mark Stein was talking about um, Terry Stotts and throwing it out there that, you know, he might be uh, in the hot seat right now. Mm-hmm. Can you summarize kind of what's been going on?
3: Yeah, so... There's a lot of vacancies around the league, as you mentioned. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets are out with Steve Clifford. The Magic are out with Frank Vogel. The Knicks are out with Jeff Hornacek. Uh, the Bucks are dealing with Joe Pronti, and their season just ended. JB Bickerstaff just was hired to fill Memphis. And Jay Triano was just announced that he's out of the Phoenix job. And Mike Budenholzer just left Atlanta. So there's a lot of openings right now. And... Two people with a Portland connection that are getting looks are Nate Tibbetts and David Vanderpool. Vanderpool is going to meet with the Magic, and Tibbetts just met with the, I want to say, the Atlanta Hawks today.
1: Yep. The the big takeaway here, I think, at least for me, with the the way this is all going, is that you're seeing, like I said, the, the retread coaches not necessarily coming back in. Um, you don't – of course you're going to hear the stupidity come out of New York because it's New York, and they'll talk about Mark Jackson. If you want Mark Jackson running your franchise, you don't You, you don't want good things for your franchise. <laughs> I'm just going to kind of leave it at that right now. So the, the opportunity that we're seeing now for guys like um, Tibbetts and Vanderpool, especially I think that casts a, a good light on Portland and in a sense – shows the level of development that Portland has had with a lot of these guys that are lower on the roster, and even really, if you think about it, even higher on the roster, uh, the Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum's of the world and how they've been able to add to their games and expand upon their games. But guys like Shabazz Napier, Pat Connaughton, um, Yusuf Nurkic, like Terry Stotz gets a lot of the credit for the big-name guys, especially like Dame, C.J., and Nurkic. But the guys who I constantly hear about, you know, the, the day-to-day who were really, really important to them um, are the assistants and, and, and Tibbetts and, Vander, and Vanderpool. And that's not to take away from Terry Stotts. It's just the relationship the assistants have managed to generate over the last few years. Um, and I think that the fact that they're getting looks does nothing but good things for
3: well, So let me, let me pose a question. So we hear Stotts' name is out in the rumor mill basically as soon as the season ends. But then we hear two assistants are getting looks at potential head coaching jobs. Does that mean Stotts is safe or that Portland will want to hold on to him just because they might be losing assistants?
1: Now, now, as far as that one particular goes, I don't think they're necessarily related because if if they do choose to move on from Stotts, I think it'll happen probably here in the next week or so because they'll want to get – well, probably by the time of the, the, the this, this next round comes to the conclusion. I think that's kind of the cutoff date if they're going to make the move. Um, when you bring in a new head coach, they, they bring in their own assistants. That's just kind of the way it goes. It's kind of the way like when if you fire a GM, typically they're going to bring in their own coach. That's just kind of the nature of the beast and, and the history of the league. That could be different. Um, but I think that uh, with Portland, Stotts' coaching tree, you know, it, it goes back to Rick Carlisle, Dwayne Casey, um, in the assistance that they've kind of brought along. I think that they have enough or Stotts in particular has enough knowledge and and connections in the league that where they would be able to replace assistant coaches pretty easily. And that's not to say that they're going to be, to have the same impact that Tibbetts and Vanderpool have, because they've both been here for five and six years, I think respectively. Um, but I don't think they have a ton of trouble replacing them immediately. I think there are plenty of coaches that would want to fill in those spots, just particularly because the relationships that Terry Stotts and the players have with those coaches that, it, that kind of springboards Portland kind of to the top of the pile first distance because, you know, knowing what's going on here and the production they've gotten out of those guys, that it becomes a good place to come and learn and build your resume. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, I want to ask uh, Kendall if she has any additional thoughts about the coaching carousel, as they call it these days. <laughs> yeah, so
0: I actually do have to admit, um, coaching is probably the thing I pay the least amount of attention to when it comes to the NBA. Um, so I can't speak on it a ton. Um, but what I do think has been interesting is that you're seeing a lot of these coaches um, that I think in so many ways fans have a hard time. Some Fans are really fast to either stick with their coach when the coach doesn't necessarily deserve it or completely just blame everything on the coach and say, well, they need it fired. Um, and it's, it's either one or the other, and Mm -hmm. they're very fast to do that. And what I think is kind of interesting is at least from what I've seen, maybe it's just the types of people that I follow on social media is I've been seeing specifically with the Terry stops situation is, I've been seeing a lot, much more reasonable response where it's more, you know, I think he has his issues, but I think they need to fit to the roster first. And then if they don't, if the roster change still doesn't, or after a roster change of then it's still not working, then look to change coaches. So I think I'm seeing it not fans, at least from my kind of circle, I'm seeing a different, um, I'm not seeing a jump to, okay, to hit, like get him fired immediately. Um, so I think that's interesting because I remember I think last year I had a big group of people on my social media just saying, oh, he needs to be fired. So I think it's interesting kind of seeing now. I think it's in part because of seeing what happened with so many of these teams that fired their coaches, especially at the beginning of the season when obviously um, people like David Fisdale and uh, Earl Watson, when they got fired so early, um, Mm -hmm. kind of seeing that and seeing what happened with those teams after, I think that kind of scared a lot of people. And, um, at least the people who maybe don't know as much about coaching and stuff. So I think it's kind of interesting seeing a different response right now than I was seeing last year, considering there's more rumors right now that he's possibly going to not have a job. So that's been kind of interesting to me. Um, as far as other coaches go, like I said, I'm, I can't really speak on it a ton. Um, I don't have really super strong opinions on that, but yeah, it's really just the stock situation that I've found kind of interesting.
2: I think it's exciting that you found the reasonable court, uh, portion of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was my takeaway that's from
1: that. Where, that's like, remarkable. Oh, where, where is this corner of, the of you paradise? Because <laughs> I'm usually clubbing well, Stott's yeah. trolls over the head with, with you know, that want to see him fired every five minutes.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that, I feel like that's always, I see that so often is that, oh, he needs to fired and then now all of a sudden that there's rumors I'm seeing kind of more reasoning coming out which is kind of oh he's the not opposite that bad <laughs> yeah i feel like it's, it's the opposite of what you would kind of expect is you would expect so many people would be like oh yeah he definitely definitely needs to get fired." i'm seeing i mean obviously i still see a ton of that but i te- i think i'm i'm just seeing a little bit more of people justifying why they should hold off firing him or why maybe they should just um, keep it or whatever it may be, I'm seeing a little bit more of that than I have in the past. So it's just kind of seeing that difference has been very interesting.
2: I, I think the at the end of the season, people a lot of people are coming around to seeing, um, Dan, I'm going to give you this one piece of credit and then we're going to move on, okay? <laughs> but I see a lot of people coming around to the point of view that, that a number of people have been saying about Damien needs more help. And that last, uh, that last series was just like, that's what they mean. And I think people who were looking at it, like you were saying, Kendall, that it's the coach or not the coach are seeing, uh, you know, what people have been saying about the talent gap over the last few years, but I want to put a bow on the coaching conversation well, and hold move on, on quick there. To...
1: are you saying that people have been wanted to make sweeping changes more than 10 days ago?
2: It's it's almost like people have wanted sweeping changes for ten days and longer even, you know? <laughs> oh boy Yes, I know. Okay, let's move on. So uh, let's let's go to the roundtable portion of this. So for let's start with um, uh, start with Kendall and and Isaiah first. What were the as far as the the Blazer season go, but also if you want to talk about the NBA in general, what were the biggest surprises and the biggest disappointments for you this season? Who wants to go first? I'll start. Uh, Yeah, you can go ahead.
3: I think Mo Harkless. Appearing to be important is probably my biggest surprise. Just because
2: <laughs> there's like that was like a triple. I don't know, like not well double negative, but like well a triple, like a triple. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that was, but that was amazing. Uh, Isaiah
3: <laughs> has a I third. backhand. <laughs> I can't like say he's important to the future, but he feels like he could be important. Welcome to, to being the a Blazers team.
1: fan, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Because
3: I remember the pre-contract extension, Moharklist Harkless uh, would hustle, grab you a rebound, get a really nice dunk a game, and he looked like a serviceable player. And then last year he fell off. This year gets benched, starts talking about his teammates, and then all of a sudden he comes back because there's injuries, and then all of a sudden Portland goes on a run, and he's a big part of that, and you see it culminate in the... Houston game where he's knocking down a bunch of threes and then he gets injured and then he goes out and then like, okay, is he important? Should we bank on that 13 game win streak? Should we bank on the January or is he still the unnative Mo So does he,
2: does he come together as the surprise and the disappointment or do you have something separate? That's your biggest disappointment.
1: I'd say
3: my biggest disappointment was just CJ not really elevating his game at all. He's still kind of the same most improved player from two years ago. And this year it seemed like his mistakes were a little more aplenty dribbling the ball off his uh, leg or making a bad pass or just settling for really bad shots. And the talk about trade CJ is not going away after his play this year. And, I think he needed this year to, like, solidify himself as Dame's true running mate, and I don't think that's the case.
2: Mm. Interesting. Uh, Kendall, how about you? Biggest surprise and biggest disappointment? Yeah, I, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything he said.
0: Um, I think, for me, I kind of can put mine together. I think um, Nurkic has been a surprise and a disappointment for me. I think he <laughs> off of last season Perfect. when... He first joined the team. It was, I mean, obviously everyone loved him. It was this huge deal. He's going to help us. He's going to get us so much farther. Um, And I think the surprise and disappointment was that this season, yeah, he had some really great games, but he was very inconsistent, and there were so many times where the strongest lineups on the floor were when he was not in it. And that was surprising to me because I think in so many ways everyone expected he was that third guy he was the Blazers third he made that big three and then slowly even you start seeing it in the media where every poster was CJ Dame and Nurkic and towards the end of the season it was just back to CJ and Dame and little things like that I think speak a lot about what people are thinking about that and I think the disappointment was that his strongest games were when something happened when he got mad we got hit in the face and it's disappointing to have a player who you know has that potential but it takes something like that to get them there and i was just really hoping that he could along with every other blazer fan just hoping he to do that more consistently and i think i think obviously he is people forget how young he is he is still very young he's only been late for a few years so i think that's gonna come with time um but i think in so many ways it's there are so many times where you would look over and you'd see him on the bench, and he just, it just looked like he wasn't 100%. Like he just wasn't putting the full effort into it. It was, he had to get mad about something in order to put that effort in. And that's something that I think that was very disappointing to see that and surprising to me because I think after all of the hype last year, at least if that were me, I would want to keep that going. And I think that he really talked about wanting to keep that going. So then to see him not do that was both surprising and really disappointing.
2: Every once in a while, though, he snuck a dunk in, and those were just, like, the best surprises. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there were some good surprises, too,
0: but overall,
2: more disappointment. Anything you want to add, Dan?
1: No, I think this is really perfect, Um, and it, it has no way in fact, in way um, wrapped up in the fact that on August 17, 2016, I wrote an article called, Do the Blazers have a legitimate third option? And here we are in May of 2018 in the exact same question is still not answered. You, you both talked about the two people who are supposed to be, you know, the heir apparent to that guy. Mm-hmm. First it was Har- well, actually, first it was Alan Crabb. I mean, if we're going to go all the way back. He was supposed to be the guy. And then it was Harkless or Aminu Harkless. I like, couldn't be that one. And then Nurkic was supposed to take that mantle. And yet here we are. And the biggest surprise and disappointment is that they showed up, but they didn't show up. And the fact that they didn't just kind of overwhelms everything else. And we're, mm-hmm. we're back at this point, which kind of brings us back to the original point of, you know, talking about coaching of, you know, how do you get the most out of guys and who gets the most out of guys and how do the Blazers kind of get going from here? And I think that's the overwhelming feeling is that you feel like Dame is the dude. You feel like CJ could be the dude. And the third dude is not abiding. And there's and, not enough dudes. There, there, <laughs> there is not enough abiding going on right now. I think where we're at the point. And I think that's the big takeaway from this season. That sucks. I hate that that's, you know, the biggest surprise and takeaway is that nobody yet two years later has managed to take that title to be that guy away.
2: Okay, well, I don't know how many minutes we're into this, and Dan has already said something sucks. So we're gonna try to Blazer fans turn this around by the end of the podcast. Good luck. Try to try to find one some positive things to talk about. But I, I kind of have uh, one more one more question, sort of along these lines of uh, that, how that this season. Too. How the season ended. Uh, I'll start with uh, with you, Kendall, for the for the next one. Considering how the season ended ended, who do you think has the most to prove, and how would they go about proving it?
0: Um, well, I think I'll go back to Nerk for that. I think, especially considering free agency, when you look at that and look at the Blazers. Salary situation in the tap space where they don't have any, and looking to are they going to sign someone like Nurk again when he's inconsistent? When we have someone like Zach Collins coming up, where okay, maybe he's not going to be as solid as Nurk would be next season, but if they can't afford Nurk NERC and Nurk's going to come in and want all this money, I mean, he didn't really prove that he deserves to earn a lot more money like everyone thought he was going to. The summer, so I think he. I don't really know at this point what he can really do because the season's summer. Um, I think it's really just what he does in the off season. If he's working out with coaches, if he's doing stuff like that. But I think that he. It's going to be interesting to see what they do as far as signing him again, because that's. um, I mean, in my opinion, I would say don't do it, which I think a lot of fans disagree with, um, but I. Think that, I mean, obviously, like we can't really afford it. So, and he's so intense. He was so inconsistent this year. And I just, I think he has a lot to prove in order to get that spot back. Because as of right now, I don't think it's, they're not, I don't think they're necessarily looking at him as, okay, well, he's worth all this
2: money. How about you, Isaiah?
3: Yeah, I think it's Nurk, too. I I just think his season kind of rubbed me the wrong way, just because Collins gets drafted, he plays the same position. Collins fits the NBA's modern play of a mobile center who can hit threes. I know Dan might attest to that, but he can hit threes. And Nurk has, what, uh, I mean, an all right season at best, a good season. And he has a replacement kind of waiting in the wings. He has free agency upon him coming into the season and he still didn't ball out in a contract year when you see guys putting up crazy numbers and that just makes me kind of think of is this is he just stuck where he is and is he ever going to really elevate his game to the next level and I mean the second part of your question is how might they go about proving it Uh, I think if Nur could great meet up with some of the great big men I mean Kevin Garnett Hakeem Olajuwon I know they have been active in mentoring people, and I think if he could work with one of them, get, maybe fly one of them out to Bosnia in the summer where he's spending his days, uh, I think that could go a long way in him proving, because he is one of the bulkier big men, so he needs to embrace that.
1: God, I want to see Kevin Jordan. Like in that Bosnia idea. now. The NBA TV, <laughs> yeah. I, I will go out there and film that. Please let me film that, for the love of God. Give, give me that one thing.
3: It's Area 21 on the road. I oh mean, my TNT, God. TNT, hop all over that.
1: It's 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 like Bosnian hillbillies, like meets Area 21. That is that's just gonna be amazing. <laughs> I, I that that is that is my one thing I want to see in life is Nurkic on his farm. If you guys have ever seen uh, Nurkic and Jokic, they both go home one to Bosnia, see the, the other to Serbia, but they both go train in like kind of the, the countryside. And it would be wild to see Kevin Garnett, you know, Area 21 out there with with Ersan
2: <laughs> I love that idea, and I look forward to fielding the call from NBA TV when next time somebody from their uh, from their organization listens to the Blazers Edge Weekly podcast and they contact <laughs> me and say, "Wait, I need Think to talk big, to these Tara. guys about Think this big.
1: Okay." I know.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I should think bigger than M- M- NBA TV and think like what ESPN is that bigger um, which one's bigger
1: I'm, I'm gonna do it NBC? alongside LeVar Ball TNT?
2: <laughs> we'll just start their own uh, channel right. how about that well so you uh both of y'all talked about Nurkic having a lot to prove I think CJ has a lot to prove um I I understand how Nurk in the contract year is like uh I, I get that because he should have already could, proved I, it. I think one thing—that's the thing. Right. Uh, well, or he—he he could also—and and this is sort of my twisted twisted logic working again. He could also prove it by taking the qualifying offer, don't you think? And being like, "Okay, I'll show you what I can do, and then we'll renegotiate, and then you'll pay me all that money." I think that could be a way for him to acknowledge that he's not ready yet, but he's committed to being ready. Yeah, I agree with that a lot.
3: I think the offer a big offer, even ten million dollars a year, would be hard for him to pass up and even like the mental thing of let me prove it and get a possibly bigger offer still is hard to pass up.
1: Yeah, that's kinda where I see myself. Like it's it's easy to say, you know, prove it, prove it. But this is a guy who, you know, had issues in Denver and suffered a broken leg and he's seven foot two hundred and eighty five pounds. That health isn't going to be there forever. The franchises around the NBA are not going to be there for him forever. There is a certain shelf life to guys that are that big, um, unless your name really is like Marcus and even then, like, he's reaching his, and it's... Well,
2: he's been around a lot longer. But
1: that's, but that's what I mean. There's, there's an... Like, you have to hit a certain level of production before you can kind of ride that wave of I'll keep getting paid like the the good good money especially the way teams are are you know building their rosters now. I think that's something that if his agent is smart, he's trying to maximize his offer while also letting him know like, hey this money may not be there.
2: Well Dan do you think that Nurkic is the one who has the most approved as well?
1: No, I, I'm with you. I think it's CJ
2: I can't really figure out what he could do though, except for make more of his shots. Is it as simple as that? Hey, I mean, because he, he's decent at defense. I don't know how much better he could actually get on defense. There's two he's things passer- for me. Yeah.
1: Well, I, th- I think that's part of it, and I think that kind of is kind of where I'm, I'm going with this. I, I think this past year I, I have defended CJ even though I've wanted to trade him since day one I think he's a phenomenal player I think he's a a great at what he does but I think there are two massive holes in his game that limit his effectiveness when the pressure gets to be the highest Um, this isn't I'm not talking about the clutch I'm just talking about the actual pressure on him uh, defensively CJ doesn't really get to the rim he doesn't finish all that well there and he doesn't get to the free throw line in yes, he's adapted and become one of the best shooters in the entire league. His ability to knock down shots in the mid range is is almost if not the best in the league. He dropped a little bit this year, but I mean his body of work I think speaks for itself, but he has to do those things because of the glaring weaknesses in other places if he truly wants to be that guy that's seen on the same level as Damian Lillard, he's got to find a way to figure that out. And I, from watching CJ this year, I, the, the biggest takeaway I have from him is I think mentally he thinks he's on the same level as Damian Lillard. Now, I think he has the potential to get there or get near it, um, but I don't think he's at that level. And if, if he's going to get to that point, he's he's going to have to fix Those particular things. I think the other parts of his game are well above average and near that star or superstar level when it comes to shooting and creating off the dribble, Um, operating in the pick and roll, things of that nature. But I think that the holes are so glaring that finding the counter to CJ um, isn't as hard as it is to find for like to say Damian Lillard and I know people will say well Dame was taken out of the series and CJ scored they weren't throwing double and triple teams and even a quadruple team at CJ McCollum in that series and I think that part of that has to do with the fact that there are certain things that CJ's just not it's not in his bag and if you're looking for that Mm -hmm. next evolution and showing that he can be that guy that the Blazers can really rely upon to be that like, if the backcourt is going to work those are the things that need to be figured out
2: so the audio is not really great, and I think I heard Kendall cut out a little bit. Kendall, did you say something too about CJ? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I thought I heard somebody um, say something about him needing to pass more.
0: Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I said that. Okay.
2: Oh, Do you want to elaborate?
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, I think um, I think one of the problems that the Blazers has is they play way too much ISO and they don't win games when they do that consistently. And when they, when they are the strongest is when they are playing team ball and they go back and forth and they go in and out of that a lot. And I think Dame obviously is a good passer. He, um, he could be better, but he's still, he's a very strong passer. And I think CJ, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily that CJ is a bad passer. I just don't, he just doesn't really do it a lot. He, he plays, so, I mean it's they do a lot of they run a lot of ISO through CJ, which I think is dangerous because it does it's it's good when he scores but when he's not if he doesn't make it then it's not great and he wasn't shooting as well this year and that showed he w- it wasn't helping the team at all really. So I think that if t- players like him, who have the ball in their hands so much, if they are passing the ball more and they get more players involved, it's proven that not just as a Blazer team, like the Blazers team, it's every team in the league. When you play team ball, your team is stronger. And they, when they stop doing that, that is when they really lose games and lose them badly. So I think that obviously that's not all on him, but I think he is one of the, People that he could make the biggest impact on that if he really um, worked on that and got his assists up and all of that, because he has the ball in his hands so much that he can make such a big impact in that.
2: Yeah, I I see him uh, uh, needing to uh, or. I see how it would be helpful if he could expand to being able to do more than just shoot, but also pass with regularity. But the other guys have got to be there making the shots. That's, that's <laughs> I think that's big one of away. the things that was happening in like in December is that when they were trying to pass it, everybody was like, was so off offensively that uh, maybe that drove a lot of the ISO ball that we, that we were seeing that he was doing. Cause like there were points where nobody else could shoot. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know exactly what CJ needs to do, but uh, all those things that you that everyone has mentioned, I think, I mean, he's been a lot of talk for a long time, and he's for the most part like you know done a great job and brought a ton to the this this team. I don't want to like uh, play down on what he's already done for this team. But this year we saw Damian take it up another notch, and I would really love to see CJ take it up another notch as well this next
1: season. I'm gonna, I want to touch on that one just real quick, because it's something that you and I have touched on like throughout the season, the idea of isolation versus team basketball. And it's kind of a chicken in the egg scenario, because I, I see this comment come up on Twitter. I see it up on the Blazers Edge comments. I've had it even on the Blazers Outsiders and the Facebook comments there, that the idea that the Blazers need to play more team basketball. I would love to see them do that too, but I would also like to see them have a team around them that makes that a conducive reality. Um, Matt Moore uh, uh, at, you know, well, not Harvard Proxswain, but the, at, at, yeah. at, at the Action Sports Network now, um, he brought up a uh, point that the Blazers had the most wide-open looks in the playoffs and on spot-up opportunities, and they shot a whopping 36%. So Dame Well, it's C. a good thing to have all those looks, right? Yeah. They just
2: need to exactly. make them, and right?
1: Think, <laughs> exactly, that's what I mean, to the, the chicken and the egg. I think it would look a lot better if the guys around him are knocking down shots. So to kind of put this into perspective, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum were, Dame was in the 88th percentile in isolation scoring. C.J. McCollum was in the 82nd percentile. These are two of the best isolation and pick and roll players in the entire NBA. I mean, they, they get after it. Um, it for CJ accounts for 13 percent of his plays for Dame it accounts for 16, percent so I mean that's that's quite a few possessions every game, right? Um, and those are scoring opportunities or or, or chances where shots or um, shots are, are taken or fall, are taking and or take uh, shots are being taken in those situations. So when you think about that, that's that's quite a bit of their offensive output, and that has to do with that's what they're good at, and that's really what. Terry Stotts and the Blazers realized come January they tried to play the team basketball ideal like you were talking about Tara. Like, you know the first couple months of the season. The only time there's any real isolation is when they tried to straight post use Yous- of Nurkic. That didn't really work either. Um, but when they put the ball back in Dame CJ's hand and decided they wanted to let them make and break, you know all the decision making and all the scoring. That's when the Blazers started to look more like themselves. They went from this slow plodding, awful just methodical offense that just didn't have any rhyme or reason to kind of firing on all cylinders. Their defense dropped off, but the offense skyrocketed at the same time. And that's because that's how good those two guys are in those particular arenas. And then when they saw the 13-game winning streak, like peak Blazers this year, it was Damon and CJ doing what they did, but also Yusuf Nurkic, Maurice Harkless, Al Rukaminu. Aminu, I think, was shooting like 58%, and Harkless was shooting somewhere around 52 or 54% from three. When the other guys, Evan Turner, I think, was shooting like 45% from three in that period. Like Every one of those guys, that the tertiary guys that, are, that Dame and CJ are, are setting these guys up for, they were just going bonkers, and that's why the Blazers were winning. It wasn't because Dame and CJ got exponentially better. Dame was supernova at that point in time with his scoring. But the other guys were knocking down the shots they weren't really knocking down at either point in the season. Um, as far as CJ goes, and this is something that we've, we've talked about a little bit uh, with his passing, I think CJ has more a, a wider or broader bag uh, of passes than Damian Lillard. Like, you, How often do we see Damian Lillard throw a bounce pass through traffic or a rat pass along the baseline or... Uh, a no-look pass, you know, something that's a little bit flashier, something that's a little riskier, um, but it's high-risk, high-reward. We don't typically see Damian Lillard do that. C.T. McCollum can do that, but I think the the biggest difference between the two of them is that when Dame attacks, Dame knows where everybody's at on the floor. When he drives the rim, he knows that he's driving the rim knowing that that help defender's coming, and he's able to make that pass back over his left shoulder or back over his right shoulder or the pass down the baseline to the corner. When CJ does it, it's more. It's usually one of two things. It's the direct line drive and the drop-off pass to the big or the cutter right next to him or the guy that he can see in the corner that he's attacking. Not the not the corner that's to his back or out to the wing behind him. Like, he, his, his cone of vision, uh, his passing vision, isn't as broad as Damian Lillard's. Now, if you took the two together, it, it would be spectacular. But I think that the, the, when those two kind of get off, when those two get separated... Um, you can see the differences in how they operate.
2: Okay. So you think that CJ has room for growth in the passing in that he had, doesn't have as much of a court vision right now yes. as Dame does, but you see that he has the potential to get there. Okay, I want to move on because we got a couple more questions, and I want to uh, hear, make sure we get uh, to hear plenty more from our guests. So this question relates to kind of like the team around uh, Dame and Dame and CJ. Um, Isaiah, let's start with you. If you were the GM, what would be your first priority on July 1?
3: You might agree with me on this, Tara, but my heart says resign Ed Davis.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> that seems like a that seems like a priority. <laughs> the That's what Dean's priority is.
3: <laughs> yeah, the the optimistic fan of me says to resign Nurkic to a reasonable deal and you bet on his development over the next four years, three years, and hope it becomes that third piece that Portland is is missing. And then the pessimistic fan of me, the Dan fan in me, uh, believes that Embrace exploring it. CJ trade might be might be the best option just to round out the roster better.
2: So you're a GM. You're not some. You're not Isaiah. You're you're GM Isaiah. So you got to be like ruthless. So are you saying that the 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 ruthless GM in you is looking at the possibility of expanding the roster through uh, exploring trading CJ?
3: Yeah. I mean, as Neil O'Shea said, no one thinks this is a complete roster, so <laughs> yeah. maybe let's complete it a little bit.
2: How about you, Kendall? Uh, priority on July 1?
0: Um, yeah, I would definitely agree with the Sinead Davis. I think that is number one. Um, I... I I mean, I've already said this. I don't think they should re-sign Nurk. I wouldn't be upset if they do, but I don't think that should be a priority at all. I think that especially with Zach Collins um, right there in the wings, ready to step up, I think that um, they should honestly pass on that. And I think that possibly, I think they should try to trade for a stronger power forward, try to kind of um, improve in that position. I don't really know... As far as that goes, I've tried to figure out kind of what they would do, what would work, and I I mean, I think it's it's tough. They're in a really tough spot with the way that um, the salary spread out amongst players, and it's really hard right now. Portland's just in a position where trades are just not really – it's not easy. But um, as far as CJ goes, I don't I, – I mean, I've said from the beginning I think that's a bad idea um, because I think that anything that – we would get back for him, I don't think would be valuable enough that would put us in a position to be better than we currently are. I think that unless we got another, unless we got some top five player or something, I don't think that honestly getting rid of him is really, I don't think we're going to get anything back that will really make that worth it. So I think that trying to trade for... Um, trade some of kind of just our small pieces for just someone who's just a little bit stronger, a power at the power forward position, I think would be good, but um, yeah, I mean, I think the number one thing is just, honestly, get Ed Davis back and then from there, hopefully, I mean, as much as I don't want to say not focus on this season as much, because I think obviously we need to, especially with Damon CJ in their primes, I think that the way the money situation is working out, I think it's looking next season is really going to be better as far as trying to get someone. So I think...
2: So ride write it out? Yeah. Ride out this next season and then make your moves the season afterwards?
0: Yeah, because I think that obviously they can still make strides this season. They can still really improve the team. But I think obviously they showed that working with the same team that they had last year, this year they really improved. So they were able to do that with the same team. So I think that if they just keep building off of that, then one, it'll be more appealing to a free agent next summer to possibly join the team, which I know it's as hard as it is to get free agents to come to Portland. I think that if they're still improving, that looks really good to free agents, that they're like, okay, I want to be that final piece to take that team forward. So I think that should kind of be their goal right now because I think that's really kind of the position they're in where they don't really have a whole lot of options for right now.
2: So for the two of you who want to sign... Ed Davis, right away. Would you have him be the starting center? Would you have Zach Collins being the starting center? Are you also signing Nurkic and leaving things the same? What do you What do you think the 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 plan would be? I guess if Nurkic walks, if he goes, if he leaves to go somewhere else, do you start Ed Davis or do you start Zach
3: Collins at center? I think Ed probably gets Ed probably gets Does Myers knock.
2: Leonard step in?
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I would. I would. I pray for Myers Leonard. Uh, I hope Zach Collins would get a look, but I would assume that Ed Davis gets it just because he's a veteran. He semi-starter for his mm-hmm. career. So,
2: is that what you think, Kendall?
0: Yeah, I would probably agree with that. I think that um, I think that eventually. It, they might move to where they're starting Zach Collins, but I think it um, would be day in the season Davis would get the start and then potentially that
2: switches. I mean, Zach Collins has barely even played without Ed Davis. I mean, he played with Ed Davis, I think, about 80% of his minutes. So mm-hmm. that would be um, interesting to to see them play separately. I, don't, I,
3: be wouldn't, mind, I, I wouldn't mind moving Collins to the four and moving a meaner to the three or Harkless to the three.
0: Yeah, I, I could see that. I'd be okay with that. I think that would be an interesting uh, lineup that would work. Because, yeah, I mean, I think Zach Collins obviously plays much better when Ed Davis is out there. But I also think that a lot of that has to do... Obviously, I think that's going to morph as he's not a rookie anymore. He can't
2: play the rest of his life with Ed Davis. (laughs) Yeah. I
0: think think especially as a rookie, having someone out there, like having that consistency, I think was really good for him, but I don't think that he needs that necessarily. I think it was good for his rookie season, but I don't think that without Ed Davis on the floor with him every second is going to hurt him. I think maybe at first it might be a little bit of a transition period, but I don't think that that's ultimately going to be an issue.
2: So Dan, uh, knowing that we still have a couple more questions to get through, <laughs> do you have an? Do you have anything to add on, uh, uh, these, on this last discussion? These
1: two are killing me. Wait another year. Wait another year. Wait another, I don't have many years left. You know how angry I am. I'm living a short life here. Living a short life here. I don't want to <laughs> wait another year, man. This is just brutal. Uh, I, 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 I get the idea. I mean, I, it's not like I've been screaming for the past three years to disintegrate this from orbit Been clamoring
2: for sweeping Uh. changes,
1: (laughs) but um, it's interesting to me that that both of you are kind of not necessarily in on signing Nurkic at all costs. And I think that shows a a divide, I think in from what I've seen Um, there's two camps and the one that isn't strong on Nurkic isn't necessarily like anti Nurkic. It's just not wholly in favor of spending money because leery of mistakes from 2016 nervous and i think Mm -hmm. that that's a different um mentality than we don't want him back um and i think that's going to be the storyline for the offseason is how that whole thing worked out. I mean, you guys all saw the press conference. I mean, the way Nurkic reacted when they asked him was like, yeah, I want to be back here. I think there's a genuine relationship between him, Terry Stotts, and Damian Lillard um, that he's not going to find anywhere else readily available. But at the same time, we were talking about, like, if somebody's going to offer him money, it's going to be hard for him to say no. Um, the no-brainer part of this, obviously, is the the Ed Davis love. Um, I, I think if there was anything that was going to be Um, as close to an easy bet as there is, it's that Ed Davis will be back in Portland Um, for everything that I've been able to kind of gather is that it'll be taken care of rather quickly. Um, Ed has grown um, obviously in Portland and finds his home, I think here now with his family. And that's kind of priority one. And I think that kind of plays into how he feels about the basketball side of things here in Portland too. So, as far as Collins goes, I think anyway, there'll be
2: mass exodus if uh, Ed Davis leaves. I think Blazers fans oh, will yeah. be in. Up, if Ed up in Davis
1: arms. is the casualty of, of the cost cutting, people should go yeah. nuts. I mean that that's mm-hmm. the reality. Because like, if you're losing one of the best bench bigs in the league because of just incredibly terrible mistakes you made two years ago, like those are the cost cutting choices you choose to make. Then you're doing things wrong. Like, because if you're if you're talking if you're gonna preach about building something and building a culture, and then you're basically gonna move the second largest cultural icon in the franchise, like outside of Dame and Lillard time, I mean, I think Ed Davis would probably be number two on that list of like representing Portland culture, right? Mm-hmm. I mean,
3: Start but, off Ed.
1: Yeah, exactly, and th- that's what I mean. Like, he's he, his, his identity is bigger than I think than his statistical contribution. I think that speaks to who he is as a player and as a human being. Um, so I, I think he's relatively safe. The, the last thing I'll say on this is the, the Zach Collins. I, I don't hate Zach Collins. Uh, I don't think he's a bad player. And I know I, I, I go, we, <clears throat> we go down this road every now and then, but I still don't think he's ready. Like I just don't see him being physically ready to be a starter in this league um, for another couple of years and that, that's not a shot at him. It's just physically, I don't see him being able to play the five, at least until he puts on another 25, 30 pounds or he, so if, he gets if his leaves.
2: Body. Then do they just put uh, Myers Leonard back in at center? I don't know. If you think that Collins do. isn't
1: ready. I mean, I think they would try to play Collins. I just, maybe you, you try it. Cause I, I think that, that Leonard is kind of on the outs with, with coach Stotts in the organization. Um, but I, I just, I don't think he's ready. You know, if, if I they mean, I just, get to I'm that saying level. if you're
2: okay with Nurkic watching, then the centers that you have left are Ed Davis, yeah. and Zach Collins. And you're you're just saying you don't think Zach Collins is ready to start. The Ed Davis yeah. can start, and Zach Collins would be his guy off the bench. Okay, yeah. I got it. I think that's the okay.
1: I think that's the level you'd fall into. I was into. just
2: so ready to ride to Zach Collins's defense. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, like I
1: automatically thought that no. you were. Listen, what, what, the things that I've said about Zach in the past, I think they've pretty much all come true. I mean, he's had time like spurts where he's been good he's had times when he's been very bad it's just that's the that's it's a that's a 19 20 year old rookie i think that that's what you expect especially from a big man because big men don't physically mature um uh, and their games don't really round out until they're 25 years old we're still five years from that like it, it's okay to give the kids some time like you he, he played well in in six games this year and it's like okay maybe next year let's get it to 20
2: okay i'm cutting cut, cut, this off because go. we got a couple more questions left what? <laughs> Isaiah, did you have something you wanted to jump in on?
3: Nope, I'm just laughing at Dan.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, I want to I give us a question that's a little bit more uh, uh, league-wide. And the, with the, uh, the state of the playoffs right now, OKC just got eliminated by Utah. And my question is, who would you rather be right now? Portland who just went through this four-game sweep by the Pelicans, their situation for next year, or OKC, who was supposed to be going to be the Darlings because now they have the big three, uh, and they also got eliminated in their first round. So who would you rather be right now? Uh, uh, Kendall, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um,
0: I would easily take Portland. Um, I think that OKC... I mean, they're about to lose Paul George, so I, I mean, there's. I honestly don't see any world and pay Carmelo Anthony twenty eight million dollars. Yeah. yeah, because people keep saying, "Oh, well, I've heard a lot of people say, well, they think uh, he's gonna not take his player option." Or no, he definitely will because no other team will pay him that money. So he's gonna stay there and get that money while hit the last year that he can make that type of money in the league and. So they're going to keep him for one more year. And then after that, I mean, who knows where he'll go because I don't know how many teams realistically want him as that badly. Um, but I think, I mean, they're about to lose Paul George. And then what? They're back where they were last year. I mean, it's. I feel like they made all these strides and they didn't get any better. And I think Portland is getting better, even though, yeah, obviously the the playoffs were a huge disappointment, but it was still, as a whole, their season was significantly better than last year. OKC, when you look at their record, it wasn't really any different than last year. But when you looked at where they should have been, especially like on paper, it their season was a huge disappointment to most people. And I think that where do they really go from here? I don't see it's hard for me to look at OKC and be excited about their future. I can, I still look at the Blazers and I'm excited about their future. So I would easily say Portland right now.
2: How about you, Isaiah?
3: Yeah, I would definitely say Portland. Oklahoma city just doesn't seem like they have any trade pieces left. You're paying Alex Abrinas, Patrick Patterson, Cali Singler, $15 million combined. And I mean, how many NBA fans have really even heard of those people? And, I mean, Portland, you could talk people into Mo Harkless. You could talk people into Afar Kaminu, Yusuf no, Nurkic. No. <laughs> Yusuf Nurkic, I mean, he's very much a trade piece, sign and trade. Uh, Ed Davis is even, you could get something for Ed Davis. And O'Gasey was built to be contenders, and they were taken out in the first round with home court advantage. I mean, so was Portland, but Portland kind of locked into their position. You have the various injuries across the West. And I think Portland should feel good about making where they did, considering how three through eight was separated by, what, two games? And OKC should probably feel very bad, considering they were built to win a championship, or at least contend for Western Conference Finals.
2: So... So both of you are feeling like Portland, uh, you'd you'd rather be Portland right now. I want to throw this question over to Dan because one thing I was thinking is that I I keep thinking about that, like I said, $28 million that's going to Carmelo Anthony. But what I'm wondering is, in your opinion, that $28 million to Carmelo Anthony – Is only for one more year. Yep. The Blazers have seventeen million in Evan Turner for two more years and
1: ten million in Myers and ten million in Harkless. Uh huh. So when when you start looking at that, that's thirty seven million that they have tied up for two years, or the twenty eight million the Thunder have tied up in one year. Um, and I would still rather be Portland because they do have a few more assets. Um, Really, the the only thing on that team, if Paul George walks, is Westbrook, who's going to be on the down slope. He's going to be 30. Steven Adams, who's entering his prime right now. And Andre Roberson? The jury's still out on Terrence Ferguson. He's a rookie. He's 19, I think maybe 20 now. Um, But beyond that, there's not much there. But really, I just wanted to reject the entire premise of your your question because I, I didn't want to take the thunder i wanted to take the pacers <laughs> i mean if, if you look around the league and like the, the situations that are around there they're and this is what i kind of go back to neil O'Shea's press conference when they said uh you know more than half the teams are are going to be uh, over the the salary cap threshold i'm like well yeah that's true there are teams that are definitely up at up at or near the salary cap threshold uh, around the league but how many of those teams have that much money thrown into players who don't give you the production that their commensurate value are expected to give you. Like, even if you look at the Thunder's roster, you're getting production out of Russell Westbrook, yes? You're getting production out of Steven Adams. They were getting it out of Andre Roberson. Um, The rest of the guys, really not that much there because, you know, it it was basically those three guys. Um, I mean, I don't even want to throw Raymond Felton into that. Jeremy Grant's another one I think that's a a solid... uh, player on their roster but beyond that and then if you look at the flip side look at a team like indiana who has oladipo locked up for a little while um you've got a bunch of guys falling off um for bogdanovich collison jefferson um lance stevens there's so many guys that are coming off the books like the only one who's going to be due any money anytime soon are guys like miles turner and sabonis And then Thad Young's, you know, big-time money is coming off the books here, too. They're in a position where they could have Oladipo, Sabonis, Turner basically kind of wrapped up and have a ton of cap space, much like Portland did when they had Damian C.J.'s deals done, and be in a position to actually make something happen and make some noise and fill out their roster. Uh, And this is kind of the difference between uh, when Olshay says, you know, teams are butting up against it and... Yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. That's true. But what decisions do you make and how much do they impact the franchise going forward? And I, I've seen the, the trade idea kicked around. Like, should the Blazers uh, move Evan Turner's contract and bite the bullet on um, Carmelo Anthony's I, I would say unequivocally, yes. Like, if, you, if, you're, if you're talking about getting a year, like, if you're, if you're talking about, like, what uh, Isaiah and Kendall had mentioned earlier, if you want to, you know, kick the can for another year, then yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, unequivocally do that because it, it, just tear the Band-Aid off. Like, if, you, if, you're, right. if, if that's and the plan... And then it would be over
2: after one year instead of two.
1: Yeah, and that was always my, my thought process when, when the, the thought was that the Blazers could make a move for Carmel and Anthony last year. I'm like, even if it's a dumpster fire, Like even if let's say all the negative press and media that surrounded how bad Carmelo was and all that kind of stuff was here in Portland this year in Portland lost in the first round. Anyways, if they were able to move away from one of their bad contracts in that scenario, would it would that really have changed anything? Like Would that change a perception of the team and where it's at right now? And I think that's the difference between the amount of years that are remaining on the deal and what Portland's potential options are coming into this summer and then obviously next year. So I, I think if, if you're, again, talking about moving it down one more year, yeah, as untenable as, as Oklahoma City's situation is, I still think in that particular instance it's not as bad as Portland's is because of the roster restrictions that the extra year place on the, on the Trailblazers okay
2: well as usual we've gone on far too long and i have one last question to ask everybody before we wrap it up today and that is i've, I've been talking to quite a few people uh you know uh, you know at work or just random people i talked to about the blazers who say that once the once the blazers are out they stop watching and then they turn to baseball or whatever um my question for you all is, if you do, and I assume you all do, if you keep watching the NBA even after your team is out, what do you say to other folks? Why, why do you keep watching when your team is done? Let's see. Uh, Isaiah, you want to start this one?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think the NBA playoffs are just a touch above the regular season play in general. And you don't see the Pelicans and Drew Holiday in playoff rondo and playoff Nikola Mirotic going off quite like you do in the regular season. but So that makes the playoffs just that much more enjoyable to watch. And it's nice when you're a fan, especially a Trailblazers fan, you know heartbreak. So it's really nice to kind of watch a game that you don't have much interest in and you can just kind of make up an artificial reason uh, to root for a team because I always have to have a to root for a team when I watch a game, but it's nice to kind of, it doesn't really matter in the end who wins or who loses.
2: Not quite so much of your heart invested in it.
3: Yeah. Unless I'm watching the wizards. Cause I think they're like Portland East for the most part. Uh-huh. John Wall and Bradley Beal. So when they lose, it kind of feels like Portland loses, but not on a, not on a grander scale. Just
1: remember this. Not, not you can't break painful. your heart if you don't have one Isaiah. <laughs>
2: How about you, Kendall? What keeps you watching? Uh, Well, what I always say
0: is that I'm not just a Blazers fan. I'm an NBA fan. So whether it be playoffs or just other regular season games, I'm always just watching games. So the playoffs to me, whether it be a Blazers playoff series or some other teams, it's still NBA basketball. It's still – the same sport that I love to watch all the time. Um, And then like what Isaiah said, that obviously the playoffs are just a step above the regular season. So to me, it's not a matter of, Oh, my team's out. I'm done watching. It's okay. Well, NBA is still going on. So I'm still going to watch it for that reason.
2: I agree with both with both of you said, and Isaiah. I really like like the ability to, like you said, watch it like with a step back, so you're not quite so invested. Like I like to watch it because I can, you know, I can watch really good basketball. I can watch actual plays being developed, being drawn up, being being played out. But then if. If something goes wrong, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's like, oh, they missed it. I don't I don't really care all that much. And it's also really nice to uh, watch other teams, like, when they throw the ball out of bounds or when they bounce it off their foot or when they miss a dunk. Because sometimes when I get, like, so down into the trailblazers and what they're doing, I forget that other teams also, you know, shoot don't, you know, shoot less than 50% from three, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's nice to remind ourselves that other teams are also like are also imperfect. And I don't know. That's how I, that's why I keep watching. <laughs> how about you, Dan?
1: Uh, do I, how many seconds do I have left to my 30 seconds? <laughs> Is this about Donovan Mitchell? Oh yeah. It's absolutely unequivocally about Donovan Mitchell. Um, watching him, as a rookie be a true superstar and carry that franchise the way he's done so has been spectacular watching Ben Simmons um, do it for the 76ers and just play phenomenally and for all the people out there who love to hate LeBron I don't care watching him backpack that ragtag squad the Cavs has been amazing (laughs) like the, the the game he had today was absolutely bananas absolutely just to be able to sit there and watch that and i think the one thing that i, I took away from it, this is this whole playoff weekend and the first round kind of wrapping up and getting in the second round is that everybody on twitter came together to hate the nba refs as one and i am here for that <laughs> i am here for every bit of that
2: yeah there was a lot of uh a lot of questionable calls or just I, I flat out, the wrong, depending and on who you ask.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I will supply them all and I, we, we can all rally together.
2: So, you're not watching the playoffs for the refing, <laughs> yeah, but you're yeah. watching it for the stunning individual performances that happen during the
1: playoffs. Yeah, at th- th- this time of year, like if Portland's out of it, I mean, who am I kidding? When Portland's out of it, um. I, I lock in on individual players, and I just, I'll just i sit there and watch that one player the, the entire time they're on the floor. There's, there's mm-hmm. a few guys who are in the league that I just I can't take my eyes off during a game. Like watching LeBron James post up over and mm-hmm. over and over again against the Pacers and them having zero answer for it, and that's not a shot at the Pacers. That's just when, you, when that man gets in that position, there's almost nothing you can do and just watching how helpless some of the best players in the world are at that one particular thing, um, just sit there and just kind of in awe of themselves. themselves. I think that's the, what, what the epitome of the playoffs and the run for the championship are all about, those individual efforts that kind of culminate with the team.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'd say watching Giannis Antetokounmpo and him just streak down the floor and see him poke at the defense and see what prey he's going to attack, has been like one of my favorite things this playoff so far. I watched a lot of the Bucks Celtic series and just eyeing on him. Like you said, Dan was really just a fun thing to do because I'm watching Damian Lillard most of the time. So it's nice to see the other stars of the NBA and see that there's, Oh, there are other good players out there.
1: See the trailblazers do care about us. They want us, they, they they wanted to expose us to this fantastic playoff basketball. So they decided to give us the second round (laughs) off. Wow,
2: Dan, was that you finding a silver lining?
1: <laughs> In the most sarcastic way possible, yes. My work here is done. Perfect.
2: <laughs> well, everyone, uh, Kendall and Isaiah, thank you so much for joining us this week and talking with us about the end of the Trailblazer season and possibly what might be coming up next. How about you each tell us uh, how people can find you on social or on Blazers Edge or wherever? Go ahead, uh, Kendall.
0: Um, yeah, so my Twitter is Kendall Bennett 16 and it's pretty, pretty much all just Blazers and other NBA stuff. So if that's what you're into, then that's a good place to jump. <laughs> and Isaiah?
3: You can find me at underscore I De Los Santos, and you can find me on Blazers Edge, Isaiah De Los Santos. And, yeah, my Twitter feed is going to be a lot of Marvel and Infinity War in the next couple of days and movies that I get to watch now that the season's over with. So that's your jam during the blazers not playing uh you can catch me there
2: dan at the top of the podcast we need to go back and add that there will be no infinity wars spoilers in this episode Okay. specifically oh. for all the people on the blazers edge slack channel right yes. now who are so worried about infinity Wars spoilers
1: shout out to him <laughs> dan how can people find you um you can find me on twitter at dean uh you can Shoot me any DMs, questions. DMs are open. Um, questions here. Uh, obviously, we've got the email that Terrible mentioned here. And for the time being, you can catch me on British Outsiders uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays nights uh, during the offseason That changes as we ramp up for draft coverage and free agency and all that stuff. But Joe Shin and I are, are taking a day or two off uh, after being on post game shows for. Still midnight for a couple weeks there. So, uh, but we will be on throughout the summer. Uh, and that's about it for me. Tara, why don't you go ahead and take us out here.
2: Alrighty, Blazers Edge listeners, we want to know what is on your mind. You can... Tweet at us uh, at Blazers Edge. You can tweet at me at TCB Biggs or you can get a hold of Dan or you can write us at the uh, our email address is BlazersEdgePod at gmail.com. You are not limited to 280 characters there. So you can t- uh, write some uh, emails with well-developed theses on what you think might be happening. You can give us your thesis and it'll be great. So write to us tweet at us let us know what's on your mind we've got the off season we'll continue to come to you weekly for dan and isaiah and kendall i'm tara and we will talk to you
3: next week